And welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Kewl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kewl, here for another playoff preview slash coverage slash maybe recap if the series, the way they go tonight, it could be all over in a couple of series. But we will get to all of that. We'll be talking, previewing tonight's games between the Habs and the Jets. Uh, yikes there, Manitoba. How you doing? We'll also be talking about the Islanders and Bruins. And, of course, what happened yesterday as well. And also talk about one game that's going on tomorrow night. we got a special guest here. Just stand by. He's waiting in the wings for us. But first, but we got to must thank our awesome sponsors here on the Kewl Show. Here on 12 Ounce Sports, whether you're watching us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Zingo TV, channel 761. If you ever want to go on that channel, Zingo TV, use the promo code 12 Ounce. That's the number one, the number two, the letter O, and letter Z or Z for you improper English users. As always, though, we got to thank our awesome sponsors here. We got mybookie.ag down there in the corner. Mybookie.ag. Did you bet on the fight last night? Boy, I hoped you didn't bet on that because that was a waste of 50 bucks, was it not? Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. Jake Paul apparently actually knows how to box. Neither one. Nobody cares about that fight. I saw the highlights on it. And let me guess. I saw, I tell you, I saw one highlight. And it was literally the bell ringing at the beginning and the end. That was it. Anyways, mybookie.ag, use the promo code 12OUNCESPORTS, win and get paid on real sporting events like hockey playoffs, like the basketball playoffs, baseball. I don't know if you could have bet on the U.S. Women's Open, but boy, I hope you didn't because I'm pretty sure nobody bet that playoff to go on yesterday as well. But go on there and win and get paid on mybookie.ag. And as always, up there in the corner, secondstringleather.com, hashtag crafted from the crease. Man, guys, Father's Day is coming up. Get your dad something cool. Get your dad something that he would love to wear all the time. Because I tell you guys, wallets, bathroom bags, keychains, coasters, pillows, toques for next winter, unless you live in the South, like or some of our fan bases from the guests that we have coming on here, where it doesn't ever snow, you can still get a toque in warm weather. Your head will sweat like crazy. But get your awesome stuff there at secondstringleather.com. Now, with that said, let's get to our first guest today our first and actually only guest today probably should have mentioned that because uh well um you know it's been very busy for a lot of people but this guy he's kind enough to literally last minute come on our show now this is a guy that works for an organization that we've actually worked with in the past become good friends with raw charge you guys remember them tampa bay lightning writers there for sb nation we're joined now by the guy who's actually a press credentialed writer a game day reporter for Raw Charge, covering the Tampa Bay Lightning through and through. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, and Matthew Estevez. Matthew, how are we doing today? I'm good. How about you, Tyler? I am doing swell. It is raining outside, so it's a good thing we're stuck inside today here in West Michigan. How are things in your neck of the woods? Ah, it's all right. I, thi- I think it might rain. I, I, I don't know. It's basically Florida in summer at this point, so sh- afternoon showers are entirely possible out of, out of the blue. I have not been to Florida in about seven years. Seven years? No. Actually, no, six years. I went. I forgot I went to spring break my sophomore year. But I was in 2014. We were down in Sunrise, actually at the Florida Panthers practice facility for Nationals. And that was a story in itself. But I'll tell you, I, I don't know how you guys do it down there. I was in Dallas just a few weeks ago for the U18s. Trying to wear a suit in your guys' weather, in your guys' climate, it should be illegal. I mean, you could probably test it out there, eh, Matt? It's not fun, to say the <laughs> least. It's not fun at all. Like, once December comes, you're like, oh, we might finally get some cool weather, thank Lord. 
Oh man, I tell you, I that's the one thing I love about. I've applied for jobs down in the south, and I and my wife's like, "Oh, this would be a great opportunity." I'm like, "Of course it would be." Back in my mind, I'm like, "If we have to move down there, we're gonna melt and die." That's how it's gonna be. <laughs> but Matthew, let's get on to this big this this great story coming out of Florida once again. And I say great story, and unfortunately, yes, the Florida Panthers had to be a victim of this story. But the Tampa Bay Lightning right now. Up 3-1 in their second round series, the Central Division final against the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, granted, let's be honest here, Matthew. If we said Carolina versus Tampa about six years ago in the second round of the playoffs, you thought, all right, how many teams bowed out of the playoffs and forfeited, right? (laughs) Uh, Six years ago? uh, For Carolina, yeah, Tampa was on the rise at that point. Yeah, six years ago, we made the Stanley Cup final. That's when we lost to... uh, Chicago. So it wouldn't have been a huge surprise for us, but Carolina, yeah, because Carolina has come a long way in those six years. Carolina is my brother's a big fan, former host Alex Kuehl, the captain of the Carolina Crusades, as he likes to call himself. He was excited. He's like, oh man, this is the year they're going to beat Tampa. And then I'm pretty sure nobody expected some guy by the name of Nikita Kucherov to come back and Steven Stamkos. Matthew, these, these, the two guys, I mean, Stamkos played a little bit during the regular season, but Kucherov not at all. And I, it, the crazy thing is, is that I, you know, I was born a Wings fan, so I got to watch Peter Forsberg back in the day. People forget in 2002, the year that the Wings had the super team, the Hall of Fame team, they went up against the Colorado Avalanche in the conference finals. Peter Forsberg, through the entire playoffs, despite not playing the finals, led the playoffs in scoring. He didn't even play the entire regular season because he lost his spleen in the playoffs the year before. I'm getting the same kind of connotation with Kucherov because of the fact that right now he's leading the playoff scoring in points with 17. I mean, I don't know what else you can say about Kucherov. He's easily a top three player in the entire NHL. Um, I, he's easily the, the best light, the best player who's ever worn a Lightning jersey uh, and probably ever will be. But what the man does with the puck is just, it's wizardry. That's the only way I can really explain it. He does things that no one else could do. And heading into the season, you know, I was a little not as bullish on uh, Tampa as other people at the blog were. Because I was like, look, we're missing Kucherov. The offense goes through Kucherov, especially the power play. We might hit some hot streaks, which, which we did early in the season with the power play and stuff like that. But it was evident after a few weeks, maybe the first two, three weeks, of the season, just watching the offense, how uncreative it was, how non-flowing it was compared to what we're used to, and just how ordinary Braden Point would look at certain junctures. <clears throat> now, Point's a fantastic player, um, and he's a first-line center in this league, but when he's paired with somebody like Kucherov, it just elevates him to a whole new plane because then all the attention has to be pulled off of him. And Kucherov can handle that attention because he's he's Nikita freaking Kucherov. And him coming back for the playoffs, I know there's a ton of like people calling it cheating and stuff like that. But I mean, rules are the rules. We didn't we did nothing to break the rules. So, and other teams, the Leafs have been doing this stuff for years, just not yeah, not yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, you know, don't get mad. Hope, hope your team, you know, gets better players. Essentially, um, and the fact that he's fresh is terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> like he's he's fresh. He is absolutely fresh, and it's just like, oh boy, have fun. And Florida got a full taste of it, and Carolina's got a full taste of it. So, it's Oof. it's crazy because a lot of people were going at the the aspect of looking at this as, oh no, he's not going to be healthy, he's not going to be ready. Because 
when I and I say Peter Forsberg, that was 0-2. That was the hook and grab era. The game was a little bit slowed down. Some players could excel in that sort of game, Peter Forsberg being one of them. But just simply jumping back into a playoff game, game one in, dare I say, a raucous BB&T center, still a weird thing to say in any junction of life itself or the history of that franchise, but he went in there and game one, he's already making an impact. It's so incredible, but... And we talked about a little bit before we came on air here, Matt, the 2017 team that didn't make the playoffs. And there were times that kind of similar to the beginning of this year where that team just couldn't get anything going offensively. And that was, remember, when Stamkos had to miss the majority of the year with a knee injury. So the fact that this team has evolved into, at that point, they were still a very young team despite making the finals two years before that. They are now able to use what they have and still hang around and be competitive. And then when it comes to playoff time, now having won the whole thing, they know what to do in these situations. Yeah, they. So, I mean, this this is a very tired and cliche saying, but it's true, especially in hockey, which is something that a lot of teams should remember and a lot of fans should remember is that progression isn't linear. Um, and that 2015 Cup run was a surprise. Um, and honestly, you can kind of look at it and say Tampa kind of got a bit fortunate with the teams they played against going up to it until the conference final when they played the Rangers. Because um, they played a Wings team that was on the de- that was starting on their downward path, they played a Canadians team that kind of follows the Canadians team now, where like they have good un- they have good underlying numbers, they have a good goaltender, but they don't really have enough to really put them over the top when it comes to top end talent. So then they play the Rangers. The Rangers are the first real tough team they played, and they managed to get past them. And after that, you know they deal they deal with the Pittsburgh loss, they deal with the bad season, they deal with the Washington loss, and they deal with the sweep. This team has seen everything. Um, and they used all that. They used all of that to really put things together in the bubble last year. Because man, no one talks about it. I don't know why, but Tampa was an absolute buzzsaw on route to the Cup last year. Like they lost what? Four? They lost six games throughout yep. the entire thing. Never faced elimination. Never lost back to back games. They blew out every single team they played at least once. So and they they were a buzzsaw. They just and I'm just like no one talks about that. Because it was the COVID cup, like that matters in any way. Like, come on. And now this year, with just the way that Breezeball has tweaked the lineup that Iserman gave to him when he when he stepped down, they can play anything. They can play shootouts. They can play grind amounts. They can play messy games. They can play games that are just nothing but just punching each other in the face. They can do anything. Um, and so now it's just we're just seeing a team that knows exactly what they are, knows exactly what they can do. And they basically dare you to beat them every night. The best comparison, and I know some people, especially in the new day and age, don't like the old school comparison factor, but Jeff Merrick from SportsCent 590 in Toronto and SportsCent Hockey Night Canada, he makes always a really good point whenever he talks about Tampa, especially nowadays. They are the epitome and the closest comparison to the 1980s, the four in a row New York Islanders, where they had Mike Bossy, they had Brian Trottier, they had so much talent up front that could score, put the puck in the back of the net. They also had a goaltender that would either kill you or make a big save in Billy Smith. Or they had a defense, which had Denny Potvin and Tonelli. And of course, they could beat the holy heck out of you with guys like Clark Gillis, Nystrom, the whole nine yards. They had literally every bases covered. That's why they were so good. And that's what this Tampa team has now, because for a while, I don't want to come back to the Leafs here, but that's how the you know Tampa kind of was. They were skilled, they were fast, they were scoring, but they couldn't play that tough grinding game you needed to in the playoffs, at least enough to win the cup. 
But then you get Bogosian last year. Thank you very much. We glad him for the lease. We liked him this year. But then you had guys like Luke Shen. And, of course, there's the grind line of Goudreau and Coleman. Like, those guys were so important last year for the cup run. And now they're back again. And they're showing why having that kind of grit factor helps teams be successful come playoff time. I wouldn't even call it grit factor with the Goodrow, Gord, and Coleman line. I mean, they forechecked like madmen, which you expect every line to do to a certain extent. But what that line essentially gave us was we had a top line that was absolutely obliterating people in the play last year. Um, <clears throat> we then had our actual second line with Sorelli, um, Calorda, then it was usually Johnson on there. That line really wasn't doing that great in carry and play that much. But then we had the Gord, Goodrow, and Coleman line, which was our quote-unquote third line, but it was essentially a second-second line. Yeah. So you're sitting there putting as a team that's got a to- a, the best top line in the playoffs, a second line that's like barely treading water, and then their third line's a second line that's even better than the other line. And they're just it's, – it's, it's just wave after wave after wave of just we're better than you. There's nothing you can do. It's, it's impressive because depth – I mean – Whenever you see a team make a trade for a guy that's like a fourth line left winger, it's like, why, what is this, why is this trade important? And I'm like, well, if they win that silver trophy at the end of this thing, it makes them look like a genius. Because there were some people that were looking at the trade that brought Coleman in. I remember I said to myself, I'm like, well, they need it. They have the scoring. And granted, they didn't have Stamkos for all but three minutes in the entire playoff. But they just you need more pieces like that. And they're showing up once again. And you mentioned Tyler Johnson who actually scored this pat in game a huge four. Goal. A huge goal. Huge goal. And, you know, let's jump into the games over this past weekend. They lose game three in overtime. Sebastian Ajo, and it's like, oh, boy, is this going to be an all-road series because how Tampa won both games out in PNC. But game four, I was working at the local racetrack here. I got pulled to do a job there, but I was watching the game on my phone, and my wife and I were sitting there like, it's one nothing after 20 minutes, a goal by Braden Point. By the way, uh, his seventh of the playoffs, only second mm-hmm. only second in the playoffs there, Matt. And we're mm-hmm. like, okay, this is going to be a fun little tight game. And then the second period happened. What happened? <laughs> what, what happened, Matt? <laughs> Everything, caution was thrown to the wind. Both teams said, screw it, we're going to score. We don't care. I do, it was, oh man, that was a nuts period. That was an absolute bonkers period. I mean, like two two of the goals that Carolina scored are goals that Vasquez he just does not let in. The point shot from Hamilton should have never went in, and then that shot from the left wall right below that right below the left base off circle that Slavin just wires right next to his ear. It hits the it hits the corner of the crossbar in the post and just goes in. And I'm like, dude, that's like a point zero one percent go chance. What is that shot? But you got to give it to Tampa. Tampa said, okay, you want to do this? No problem. And they just kept going at them. It also didn't help that Carolina was taking some pretty, pretty bad penalties. Um, I know people can say, you know, the the refs gave Tampa that game, but at the same point, you look at those calls, you're just like, you can't really argue any of them. There were some that like Tampa got away with, but I was just like, you can't make you can't make that. You can't do that. And then Tampa figured out their their so-called power kill and just completely made it look like a, you know, I don't know, how, I don't know what's good to for. They made it look like a child, basically. They just danced around them and just lit them up. Yeah, and, and at least and at least to another thing that that I feel like that might end up costing Carolina the series that they swap goaltenders. I didn't think Nijelkovic was bad in the first two games. Like, yes, was the Goodrow goal a bad one to give up? Yes, it was. Was this was the second game winning, winning goal in game two? Uh, if he won, mm, you can make the argument. And then you have Mrazek come in. Mrazek single handedly basically steals game three. Okay, yeah. cool. But at the same point, you look at Mrazek's history. 
Morazic isn't necessarily the best goaltender against Tampa. Um, and then you saw it there. I mean, yes, he was left on an island by himself. There were plenty of goals that he led, and you were like, bro, you can't let that in. Like Kucherov's goal, the insurance goal, that's when you can't let it happen. Like, that, like that's, that's a on-the-ice one-timer that you see coming from a mile away, and it beats you five-hole. That's just... Yeah. And I, and I saw that too. And I, myself, a former goaltender, I, I can watch goals and that's why I'm like, all right, could he have stopped this? Yes. Okay. Then it's a stoppable shot. Like, I'm not saying could I have stopped it because it, it'd be a 10 nothing game. We, my team would lose every day of the week. But just because I stopped Marty Firk's slap shot, the 107 mile an hour slap shot that he has does not mean I'm anywhere near an NHL goaltender. But, you know, I do think you see Nadelkovic tomorrow just because when you have two goaltenders, we saw what we see with the Islanders and Barry Trotz has treated Sorokin and Varlamov. One goaltender plays an awful game and the other one gets the hook. The other guy comes in. I'm sure Rod Brindamore is not as big of a knee jerk, but I'm pretty sure the way that game went, you may give Nadelkovic the start. But it's funny because we do not have this conversation. And we, we mentioned it. We started off with Tyler Johnson with a big goal there in that second period, a eight goal second period, I have to remind myself, with Nikucherov mm-hmm. getting one more in the third, is, and I, I keep harping on this, and every year we go into the year, we look at the teams that have the cap issues, Vegas, Toronto, Tampa are usually the top three, and one thing I always mention is how many years until Tyler Johnson gets goes away. Now, a lot of people are pointing at the expansion draft this year, but that's a discussion for a later date. Is Tyler Johnson, obviously, like we said, a big goal, is he still a vital piece of this hockey club, or is he a guy that just got signed for so long at so early of an age that at this point you kind of have to ride out with it? Given the fact that Breezeblaw has tried to move him numerous times, basically since we won the cup, um, it's very much uh, we his contract's here, we have to deal with it. But it's not like Johnson has been especially bad. Um, a lot of people on Twitter harp on him for his defensive play, but Johnson has never been a good defensive player. So harping on him for that, to me, is just, okay, you're telling me something you already know. And Johnson's production-wise, he's been what he's been for the past few seasons. Is he overpaid? Yes, he is overpaid by about probably a million, million and a half. Uh, but is he still <clears throat> a useful player? He absolutely is. Um, now, fourth-line minutes probably don't suit him. He's probably more suited to a to a, like, a top six role as a complimentary player. But when we're on a team like Tampa, well, sorry, buddy, you're not going to replace anyone who's in the top six right now unless they're hurt. Nope. So it's very much the fan base has to deal with him. A lot of the fan base is upset with him. Me, not really. To me, he's been Tyler Johnson. He's bad defensively. He has a weird propensity of scoring some clutch goals, um, and he's going to drive you nuts sometimes, and that's just who he is. Um, the contract's the contract. You can't blame him for signing it. So it's very much just like, He's here. He's going to play his heart out. And honestly, he's played exceptional in these playoffs. He's made huge plays for us that have resulted in goals um, that have opened things up. So, I mean, hey, guy's got a Stanley Cup. He doesn't care. <laughs> like, yeah, He doesn't care. And I still don't even think he might even be taking the expansion draft. It, it, the only way I see that happening is if, if, is if Breezewell sweetens the pot for Seattle. And I don't know if that's the right way to go. I really don't. There, there's a lot of discussion about that. The way George McPhee was able to really fleece a lot of GMs in that first expansion draft with Vegas back in 17. And there's like, oh, it's not going to happen again. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, like I said, Breeze, I mean, well, how many draft picks can Tampa give up to get Tyler Johnson out? But it really all depends. It depends on how this rest of this playoff goes. Maybe Tyler Johnson all of a sudden scores like five goals in the next six games. And all of a sudden, he's looking like the $5 million man that everyone wants to see. But the the big the big 
guy and all this. And I know we're going to, we'll probably get on Hedman here in just a little bit. We mentioned Stamkos and Kucherov. But for me, a guy, despite winning the cup last year, despite being one of the best goaltenders in the league, I have always been skeptical of Andre Vasilevsky. Now, this is because this, this dates back, Matt, to his junior days in Russia. When he came over, first round pick, this guy's good, right? I watched him in the World Juniors. I said to myself, this guy's not an NHL goaltender. He can't be a first round pick. Well, this year has changed my mind on Vasilevsky. Last year when he was a Vezina candidate, I'm like, really? This is going to be the guy? I'm, I was not surprised Hellebuck got it at all. This year, I feel like this guy is going to win the Vezina Trophy, Matt. He has actually earned, for me, earned my vote, if I were to vote for the Vezda because Vasilevsky this year has been lights out from start to at this point right now. It's been an interesting dichotomy when it comes to Vasilevsky because the year he won the Vezna was kind of an up in, up in the air one. Anyone could have won it that year. He really should not have been a finalist last year. He, all of us at Russia were saying like, he, he just wasn't that good during the regular season. It was the wins. Something, it was the wins. Yeah, of course it is. Cause it's voted by the GMs. Um, but man, the moment the playoffs started last year in the bubble, something changed in him. And he was an absolute wall. Like he would like the Vasilevsky we saw win the cup last year. That's what we're seeing this year. And in these playoffs, he's ascended to an entirely different level that we're just like, Oh my God, is this like, is this his peak or is there more to it? Cause he's terrifying right now. I mean, you, you saw what he did the Carolina in the first two games. And it was just like, oh, my Lord. And just now with it, it's just like, you just expect perfection from this guy. The way he approaches the game is otherworldly. And just, you can't get in his head. You just can't. He, nothing frustrates him. He just shakes it off and says, okay, next puck. He's just, he's, in my opinion, he's the best goaltender in the world right now, especially after this regular season and how he's played these playoffs. He's been outstanding. Like, when the teams needed him, he's carried them. Absolutely carried them. Um, and, and shoot, the first two games of this year, of the series against Carolina. Game one, we still beat because of Vasilevsky. Game two, we played a bit better, but it was still Vasilevsky. You know, he, he's the guy. And he's going to be the guy for a very long time. It's incredible to look at. It makes 38 saves in game one, 32 in game two. The crazy part is they talk about how good Victor Hedman is, how good the decor is in, in Tampa, and deservedly so. Let me quick do the number here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven times so far in the first series and a half for the Tampa Bay Lightning, he's had to make 30-plus saves, including making 47 in the loss to Florida in Game 3 and then 41 in Game 4 of that series. Like, it's not like, and I, I love this guy to death, but Kenny Dryden was always a Vezna winner. But look at the Montreal Canadiens that were in front of him. He didn't have much to do. Andre Vasilevsky has had a quite, he's had quite the workload, Matt. And this is not a guy that's, you know, benefit of the team in front of him. This is a guy that's making his own luck and making his own name, especially last year's playoffs and this year as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, Tampa has ran a gauntlet so far. They ran up against a team that had their number in the regular season. They went 3-5-0 against the Panthers during the regular season. And it was that that was the series I was really concerned with. I was like, Florida's the one team who has always gotten Tampa to go into a gunfight, which is dangerous no matter what you do. Um, I still said Tampa would win because I felt like Tampa's experience and Tampa would lock things down better defensively. 
They kind of did defensively to a certain extent, especially as the series went on. But early part of that series, it was mayhem. Absolute mayhem. And the defense this year still isn't nearly as good as it was last year. Um, contrary to popular belief, I'm not I'm not a very big fan of the, of the Davis Savard trade. I don't think Savard fit this team in general play style-wise, and he hasn't looked good in general. His best game was game six against Florida, and that's kind of it. And all by he's been injured for most of this series, but I haven't been impressed with him. We essentially are running four defensemen and just riding them hard, riding them exceptionally hard. Hedman, McDonough, Sergeyev, and Chernak. Those are our top four. The other two spots are basically just don't do anything terrible. No. Um, and, and so with that, it's it's definitely made Vasilevsky's life a lot more difficult. But when Tampa doesn't get deviated from their defensive structure and they keep things to the outside, have fun. Yeah. It, <laughs> have fun. And you make it easier and your goaltender helps too. And people, if, if people went on, you know, look at the stats right now, currently among all goaltenders in the playoffs, which pretty much is anyone that played over two games, Vasilevsky is technically 10th in save percentage, but I think that's because the last game kind of really put a little bit of a dip in that. But mm-hmm. he, he's still 7-3, and three, and this team, Matt, is looking so good. I'm not going to use the R word yet. I don't want to jinx anything yet. Uh, even though, <laughs> even though, even though I did call Tampa winning the cup in 2020 before they were, before they were swept against Columbus in 2019, I know it sounds really stupid and far-fetched. I actually did it. I don't, it was <laughs> now granted it was a half-hearted prediction, but I guess I was right in the end, but you look at the team they're going to have to pot. They're going to have to go through to get to the final. It's either going to be Boston or the Islanders. Everything's been predetermined at this point. Is there a team? And this is why this year is so funky because we don't know who the best team is or which is the best division. Everyone can look at the other one and say, oh, the North doesn't play defense. The East is going to be, there's no offense there, just the way the Islanders and Bruins are playing. The West is fragile. The Central can be interesting as well. Like no one knows how everyone's going to match up, but who would you be more confident in the Tampa Bay Lightning playing as of right now, the way the Bolts are playing heading to the semifinals? The Islanders who have two goaltenders that can play well, or Boston that can literally stick slash and tap you and trip you and hook you into a slumber. I'm not worried about either one of them because Tampa's handled New York in the past. They beat them in six games in the, in the conference final last year. And New York isn't a, I mean, they've added Palmieri and Zajac. Zajac's kind of, he's whatever. Palmieri is actually at least showing up finally compared to what he did during the regular season. So I'm not overly worried about New York. They know how to handle New York. Boston, I'm not that worried about. They've handled Boston pretty consistently the past few times they've played in the playoffs. However, Boston finally has the one thing that was their Achilles heel against us, those two series. They actually have some depth scoring now with Taylor Hall, which yep. I still can't believe they swindled Taylor Hall for that. So Boston will be a tougher matchup, in my opinion, just because Boston um, finally has some depth. But I still think Tampa comes out on top of both of those teams. And now, I don't think either one of those series would be short. They would be a minimum six, more than likely seven-game series. Um, but I'm not worried about either one. I'm more worried about who's out west. Vegas and Colorado were kind of terrifying. I know everyone's been on Colorado's bandwagon, but Colorado got literally the, the biggest cupcake you can possibly ask for in the first round oh, yeah. in St. Louis. So it's just like, whoop-dee-doo, you can, blow, you can blow St. Louis out all you want. That's not going to impress me. Um, that's why Colorado's numbers and advanced stats look so good because they quite literally obliterated St. Louis. Now against Vegas, yeah, they blew Vegas out game one, but um, they were tired. They just played game seven. 
Yeah. Uh, last I checked, it's tied 2-2 in that series, and Vegas has pretty much ran them off the ice the past two games. In the last eight periods. I'd even go as far back yeah. as game two. Like, had Riley yeah. Smith, you know, didn't tap the stick out of Miko Rantanen's hands in overtime, we may be looking mm-hmm. at a much different series. Yeah, so like those teams are those two teams are even and they're but they're two different they're two different versions of a monster. Colorado is an absolute rush offense. I will just run you down offense. Vegas is kind of similar to Tampa where they'll just forecheck you to death and just grind you to pieces. But they're both exceptionally good hockey teams. It's just a matter of who's gonna who's gonna come out alive in that bloodbath. Because they're 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 gonna get Winnipeg or Montreal. Yeah. For, for in a semifinal. Like they're like I'm kind of terrified to see what's gonna happen in that series. Well, I, I, I'm going to go into Wigan Peg Montreal a little bit later on, but a little bit of a teaser for everyone here on the Kula show. The, the numbers with that series, that Montreal's up 3-0, it's both flawed at the same time deserving because Winnipeg is, they're good, but they're without Shifley. But then again, the Canadians have been playing well. They're hot, they're confident, but there is no fiscal way to explain that they're beating the Winnipeg Jets who beat the Edmonton Oilers in four games and they have a chance to sweep them tonight. I mean, I guess give us your quick take here, Matt. What what do you see in this series? Does any of it make sense to you? Montreal, ever since game five against Toronto, has literally been riding on timely goal scoring and Carey Price being essentially a different version of Hart Trophy winning Carey Price. How? I don't really know. They have scored on some odd goals that just make you scratch your head. You think of the games, you think of game seven against Toronto, that first goal by Gallagher. You're just like, really, Kim? That that's the one that beat you? Out of all After the goals for so Jack Campbell. Good, like, like out of out of how much you've like put the lease on your back, like this series, like that's the goal you let in. Um, and stuff like that. So it's I really don't know how to explain it. I I, I'm, I was surprised that Winnipeg, Winnipeg swept Edmonton. They should never have even survived that series. But, well, Connor Hellebuck decided to stick it on my back, boys. I'll carry you to victory. No, Connor McDavid's overrated. That's what it is, man. Everyone knows that. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Oh, I don't, I don't even want to get into that one. But this series, I mean, it's it's showing how flawed Winnipeg is. Now, it's not to say Winnipeg is a flawed offensive team. Now, without Shifley, they are flawed. But they have always been questionable at best defensively. And it's been the Connor Hellebeck show if you just let me just stand on my head. And Winnipeg just doesn't have the personnel on defense to, like, at least give Hellebuck, you know, some leeway in games where, you know, some goals go in. Yeah. And Montreal, like you said, they're confident. They're just, they're just going at you. And the thing is, it's like Montreal's always had good underlying numbers at 5v5, and they've been a good 5v5 team. Their problem is they don't have a whole lot of great finishing talent, which is kind of similar to Carolina. Carolina's kind of in the same boat as, as Montreal, just they have better talent than Carolina. But when you match up Carolina's top talent to like Tampa's or Colorado's, you take Tampa or Colorado because that talent is far better than the top talent on the other team. Um, and that's kind of what's hurting Carolina now is like they can drive play, they can put shots on net do all that volume stuff, but they don't have the top end shooters that Tampa does. They just don't. And so they have to rely on that volume to a certain extent. And that's kind of what, that's kind of what Montreal is doing now, but it's going in for them. So you just, you just put your arms up and say, well, just roll with it. It's, it's looking more and more every day. The only like the 2010 run for Montreal, the only difference is that Carey Price doesn't get pulled in the middle of the first round against Washington. And, 
Yaroslav Halak comes in and save the day. That's what people were thinking in that first round. Everyone's like, oh, Carey Price is done. Let's let's get in Jake Allen, see what happens from there. Nope, they rode with him. And uh, he's not the all-world goaltender. I think the best goaltender in the National Hockey League has been, the torch has been passed to Vasilevsky, but Carey Price still has a few tricks up his sleeve, obviously. Look- he, is, he is just... He's, like I said, he's echoing that 20, it was 2015 he won the heart, right? 50, yeah, 15 he won the heart. I say 15, he, yeah. I said he should have won it in 16 because they always say the MVP center, most valuable player, Carey Price gets hurt, Montreal sucks. That's how valuable Carey Price is. He should have won it two years in a row. Yeah, nope, I don't really, I'm not going to argue that one because it makes perfect sense to me. Like I said, man, he is, he's evoking that 2015 form, not the full form, but they're playing decent enough defense in front of them. And it's not even saying Montreal was a bad defensive team. They're not. Their problem's always been on the other side of the puck, scoring. And right now, they're, they're, it doesn't really matter how many goals they score because they're just not giving anything up. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I, I, I don't know if they'll sweep them, but with the way this series has gone, without Shifley, I don't know if Winnipeg has the horses. I don't. I really don't think they have the horses, man. It's, it's, this is... It's the epitome of a 2021 playoff series, Matthew. That's the best way we can explain it, at least especially up in the north. They're allowing fans back in slowly and slowly. Nothing like you guys got down there in Florida and Vegas and all that where you're just packing (laughs) bars to galore. A little bit tough for some other places up here in the north. But we have been chatting with Matthew Estevez to of today's show. You can follow him at Matthew S. Estevez on Twitter. Make sure you follow Raw Charge at Raw Charge on Twitter. Check him out on SB Nation. Great stuff all the time from Justin Matthew, the whole gang down there covering both the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Syracuse Crunch as well. They got it wall-to-wall coverage there. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time today. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Game Game 5 is tomorrow night, 6.30 start time. I'm getting used to these 6.30 start time, 6 o'clock start They're time. weird, aren't they? Well, not as weird as it was last year, man. We were, when I was like... This is true. When I was this like get, true, when I was last, getting out last, of work. Last year, was, last year was an absolute just tire fire of weirdness. Everybody play now. <laughs> start hockey at noon. What? Oh, dude. That, it was awesome. I was sitting there at work. I'm just sitting on my phone. Tyler, you got to get back. No. Can't. Second period right Bro. now. Well, second round. period, I got two more games coming the rest of the day. I ain't doing anything. You can fi- find someone else to cover the shift over there. I, I got this going. <laughs> I'll just just lie to him, tell him I got money on this. It's important, even though not not at all. Can ne- I can never. I could never. I love the fact that the NHL is getting money and profit revenue on this on the new this gambling phenomenon that's coming around. I tell people, people come up to me. It's like Tyler, I got, I want to put money on this hockey game tonight. What do I bet? I'm like, don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i, I don't the know same way. i'm like don't don't I, hockey is too random i literally a guy came up to me once i was late broadcasting a game and i'm sitting there calling it and the guy at the work taps me on the shoulder and shows me his phone he's got montreal versus this is during the regular season and i'm just like <laughs> montreal tell you lost me 30 bucks last night shouldn't be betting on hockey bet on <laughs> bet on basketball it's easier jeez but Matt, we'll talk to you. We'll definitely talk to you and Justin again. You guys are awesome. And thank you very much for taking the time once again today. Thank you so much for having me, Tyler. It was a blast. We'll take a quick break, folks. When we come back, more of the Cule Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. And welcome back to the Cule Show here, everyone, here on 12 Ounce Sports. I am your host, the Insider of the Insiders, Tyler Cule. Thank you so much once again to Matthew Estevez. Just like Emilio Estevez. I asked him about that after. I'm like, did I say your last name right? And he's like, yes, you actually got it right. And I'm like, thank you. And again, he's like, how do people, I'm like, I asked him, how do people get it wrong? And he's like, because people think it's a, a Steve's or something like that. 
But thank you once again to him. Like I said, Raw Charge, those guys are awesome. Everyone in SB Nation. We, of course, we had Laura Astorian, Todd Little from Litterbox Cats. Of course, the great folks up there at the Ice Garden on SB Nation covering all the women's hockey. We've had so many of them on there before. They are all awesome people. Holy cow, we turned the game on and we got a goal already. New York Islanders and Boston Bruins, game five just underway. And who scores first at TD Garden? The Boston Bruins on the first shot on goal in the hockey game, guys. It's not easy to win in Boston. The Islanders did once, but can they do it again is the big question. So with that, let's get into that series a little bit. Varlamov getting the start here once again here in Game 5. Let's see, is it Pasternak that scores? Looks like a shot from the... Oh, yeah, it's past a one-timer. Oh, Lordy. What a snipe by David Pasternak. The kid's on fire, man! I mean, he actually... He's been really good, guys. Let's be honest here. You know, we'll jump into it here. I let me see if I can find the number of goals that he has scored. I don't have it right in front of me. Let's jump over to the skater side here. Do 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 do. He has. If I can quickly pull it up here, where is Pasternak? Oh, he's way down the list. That is his sixth goal of the postseason. On actually, they credit it as the second shot on goal of the game. One nothing Bruins over the Islanders right now, and only not even ninety seconds into the first period. Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy getting the assist. So let's jump back to game. Let's go quickly to game three, the first game at Long Island. Brad Marchand, the hero in overtime. The goal that we thought was going to get Semyon Varlamov pulled for game four, despite making 39 saves. An off-angle shot, top corner, however far side. I'm like, man, that's a weak one, but he played well. Barry Trotz gives him the call in game four. He redeems himself. Isles win 4-1. Kyle Palmieri, oh, my goodness, Matthew pertained to it a little bit during that previous interview, talking about how Palmieri didn't do anything during the regular season. It looked like that trade that got Sajak and him over from the Devils, that was a dumb idea, a dumb trade, should never have been done. What in the heck was Lou Lamarillo thinking? And then Kyle Palmieri, first round, big game changer. His fifth goal of the postseason was the first goal that actually tied the game up at that point in the first period in Game 4 in Long Island because David Krejci scores his first of the postseason. And a lot of people were thinking, oh, no, because at that point, it was 2-1 Boston. And sometimes when you get on the ropes like that and you give up the first goal on the road, sometimes the home team gets a little bit uneasy. But the Long Island faithful, all 12,000 of them said, we are not going down easily. We're not going quietly into the night. We, today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Or some, you know, Bill Pullman. They did exactly that. They did the Independence Day speech in that rally. The troops, Islanders come back, score four straight. Palmer, like I said, J.G. Pajot got the empty netter. That was his third. But two goals, second goal of the postseasons for Matthew Barzell and Casey Sezikis. Now, yes, if you are a statistician fellow, you probably think, how is Barzell having as many goals as Casey Sezikis? Well, Sezikis had a big overtime goal earlier on in this series. The goal, the game winner against Boston in game two at TD Garden. And of course, Matthew Barzell, you know what? Yeah, he took a little bit to get going, but he has come up big lately. And you know what? As long as you have it going. And oh my goodness, Brad Marchand just missed a wide open net. Holy moly. Chaos at TD Garden. The crowd is at its feet. They're going crazy. And they're trying to figure out why the pesky Brad Marchand did not score his sixth goal of the postseason. Sorry for the play-by-play, folks, but it's this series has taken on a life of you don't know what's going to happen because, like I said, a 2-0 or 2-1 win in Game 3, 
Uh, was it 4-3 in game two? And I believe it was 5-2 in game one. I don't have the exact scores right in front of me. But this series can be both very tight or wide open. Now, Boston started off strong here in game five, but the way the Islanders like to play, and this is why I mentioned with Matt, because this is an Islanders team that can really slow you down, but they have guys that are putting up the numbers offensively. Boston, the perfection line with Pasternak at full health and Bergeron and Marchand doing their thing. That line is connecting, but they also have Taylor Hall and on a line with David Krejci, who has been a very big help over there. This is a team that's very deep. They're showing the replay right now on the miss wide open net. Varlamov, once again, screened out in front. That's the big thing you got to do with good goaltenders. You got to get traffic in front. That's really why the first goal by Pasternak went in. While it was a great snipe from the from his off wing, Varlamov couldn't see snot, so that's why it helped him out there. But right now, if Boston wins this game and puts the Isles on the brink in game six, you almost feel like the Bruins have the advantage going into that game, despite it being at Nassau Coliseum. Nassau, I I love that arena. I know it's going to be a bummer because this is the last season for it. You wonder, would game six, if Boston can come out here and pick up the win, is that going to be the last game? I, it's so hard to win, and this, this, is, this is why St. Louis in 2019 was, felt like such an anomaly. It's so hard to win in Game 7 in Boston. It's so hard because the, the series, uh, yes, maybe it's because I'm a Leafs fan and I'm scarred, but you've seen it so many times where Boston's able to win. Look at the couple series against Montreal that have gone 7 in Boston. It's so, it's so difficult to win in that barn when you know the crowd's going crazy and that's why I think this, like I said, St. Louis win in 2019 was so, it, it just seemed insurmountable. But then again, Boston just came out flat in that game, especially to Garask as well. But right now, I, if yes, it's only the second round, but you just feel like whoever wins this game is going to win the series. Even if the other team was able to tie it up in game six, whether the Islanders come back and win this game or Boston holds on the team that ties the series puts so much into that sixth game to force a game seven that some wonder how much is left in the tank for that seventh game. Now I'm saying this as a Leafs fan who just saw Montreal walk right on over them. However, it's for them like Minnesota, for example, Minnesota coming back from, from three, one down to force game seven against Vegas. It's not easy to pull it off and then come out and win game seven unless the other team is so terrified they're gripping the six too tight and they end up falling apart i.e the toronto maple leafs but that's why i think the way this series goes to whoever gets the lead in going into game six which i believe would be on third it will be on wednesday they have the advantage going into that game so it'll be certainly interesting to see what happens later on in this series a little over 90 minutes left here on this week's edition, this Monday edition of the Kilo Show. By the way, probably mentioned this at the end of the show as well. We're doing a show on Friday this week. Got something going on Thursday nights. So we'll not be able to do the live show on Thursday. We'll do this the the one hour special on Friday. And then next week, we're not even going to be doing it on Monday. We're going to be doing it on Tuesday, which will probably most likely be on the Kilo Show networks because of the fact that, well, Tuesdays are very busy on 12 Ounce Sports if you follow them at 12 Ounce Sports on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram you know that they have shows all the time on Tuesday nights are very packed. So we may be doing Tuesday's hour, two hour and a half hour long show on the Kula show networks, which you can follow us at the Kula show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. And Twitch will be on there as well. So 
Let's kind of move along here. Let's jump off the Stanley Cup page for a moment. The Stanley Cup playoffs page for a moment. Let's get in some other news. One actually, one thing actually does have to do with the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it has to do with Canada, and particularly the North Division. It's, it's obviously really good news to know the fact that there is a plan in place, the National Hockey League and the Canadian government. Sorry, I just have to quickly tweet something out here. Nothing bad, just, you know, just letting everyone know what's going on because you guys are watching it right now or listening to it right now, but not everyone knows, so i got to make sure I tweet every time we have a segment. I want everyone to know that we're on live and talking about cool stuff. But the first order of business is the Canadian government approves travel between U.S. and Canada for the remainder of the playoffs, which will include the semifinal and possible Stanley Cup final. And this was a big question... Not just now, but during the season, before the playoffs, when the playoffs started, because of how bad everything was in Canada. Canada didn't seem like there was no chance they were going to allow any teams to come in. Hence why the Blue Jays are still playing in Buffalo, why the Raptors never even came close to coming back to Toronto. Next year, knock on wood, hopefully that all changes. However, Canada finally gets border travel exemption for the final two rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs. This coming from... The Athletic, at least from this article, there's many articles about it. One of the quotes coming from Marceau Mendicino. Oh, boy. I hope I'm saying this right. Mendicino, uh, the Immigration Minister of Canada, quote, In addition to NHL's COVID protocol, NHL players and personnel will have to abide by all local public health rules, which at this point would be the Manitoba or the Quebec rules, local rules, which Quebec at some points were were probably the most strict COVID protocols, COVID rules in Canada. Now, right now, it's looking like that's that that's going to Ontario right now, hence why it took uh, the series to go to seven games for Leafs to have anyone at the Scotiabank Arena. He also says that NHL players, staff will have to travel into and out of Canada via private plane and be subject to daily COVID-19 testing. So, therefore, pretty much uh, what they do now. With that said, it's it's good to know that you're not going to have to worry about trying to find a second home for these Canadian teams. And with the Canadian teams now allowing fans in, 500 at MTS Bell Center, or Bell Place, excuse me, in Winnipeg, and Centre Bell in Montreal, they're allowing fans. 2,500 in Montreal, only, like I said, only 500 in Winnipeg, but it's better than nothing. It shows that everyone is headed in the right direction. Now, yes, pretty much down in the States, it's just about full capacity in every barn. A lot of the folks still have the banners behind the benches, which is good, keeping them separate from the players as much as possible. Because if you haven't seen the numbers yet, not everyone's been vaccinated in the United States, so it's not quite there yet. But like I said, we're heading in the right direction. That said, it's good to know that they're allowed, and who knows how many more fans will be allowed in if Winnipeg or Montreal can move on. I don't know if, if there'll be a lot, but you know, I, I was listening to the game last night. I was playing golf last night, so I listened to Montreal, Winnipeg, in Montreal. And even on the radio broadcast, you could tell. I said it during Game 6 of Toronto-Montreal. 2,500 just feels like 25,000 in Canada. And even 500 people in Winnipeg, the whiteout, it may not be as strong, may not be as heavy as it could be. It still feels better than nothing. So much better. But that said, it's great to know, though, that the Canadian team, whoever makes it through, 
will be able to host their own games in their own barn in the the semifinals, not conference finals. And possibly, possibly the Stanley Cup finals as well. And like I said, we'll get to that series here in just a little bit. Talk about game four that's coming up later on tonight, eight o'clock start time between Montreal and Winnipeg. But just the fact that we're at that point now, we're saying everyone can play in their own ring because there was a lot of talk, guys, that whether it be Toronto or Montreal, they'd have to go play in Buffalo or teams would have to play in Minnesota or somewhere out west in the northwest United States simply because they could not play in their own barn because of the local protocols. But the fact that the Canadian government and the, the provincial governance, governments involved are saying, okay, we'll allow it under these conditions. Like I said, tight conditions, tight protocols, what have you, it is better than what it was looking like for the longest time. Because as much as there have been talk in the last few weeks of, hey, they're heading in the right direction, sounds like it's going to be possible, sounds like they're going to let them in, I, how can you be sure until it actually happens? Especially in the last 15 months, talk is cheap. Until you actually see action, or something written on a dotted line, no one can take anything seriously. No one can trust words. You need fact. And right now it's fact. A Canadian team, whoever it may be, will host the Stanley Cup semifinals in their own barn. Also, other news, talking about some international hockey here. Team Canada winning the World Championships for the 27th time. Wowza. You talk about a come-from-behind story. Oh, no, Team Canada come from behind story. Oh, my goodness, that can't be true. Well, guys, I don't know how many of you followed the World Hockey Championships this year, but Canada did not start the best. They were 0-3. They lost to Latvia. They lost to Germany. Now, Germany is pretty good this year. They made it to the bronze medal, but they got embarrassed by the United States, 5-1 in preliminary action. And everyone thought, oh, no, Canada may not even make it. They almost didn't. Yeah, they picked up wins against Italy and other teams they should have easily beaten, which that kind of helped them. Because they went into the final day, they lose to a, they lose in a shootout to Finland, and they needed Germany to beat Latvia. Because if Latvia had won, they would have easily gotten into the quarterfinals. They'd been in the top four of Group B. Germany wins, though, in regulation. Latvia does not get in. Canada gets the spot. Who do they have to play in round one in the quarterfinal? They get to meet Russia. Yikes. That's not going to be fun, right? Well, it wasn't. But Canada won. They came from behind. Adam Henrique. Just Adam Henrique. I, I, a guy that was put on waivers. He's on a bad Ducks team. What happens? He's probably can't, one of Canada's best players. I say one of because we'll get to the guy who was here in just a moment. Plays big minutes. He scores the big goals. They end up going on to play the United States. And this game was really interesting. Because the wife and I, because this is with the power of technology. Also, I lost my Fubo seven-day membership, so I had to listen to the game on my phone using the TSN uh, live stream app. Thank goodness TSN was kind enough to act. Because, you know, if you try to stream games online like pro sporting events, it cuts out and goes to something like different programming because you have to pay to listen to sporting events like MLB and NFL and whatnot or NBA too, and I'm like, oh man, that would, this would suck. But thankfully, TSN's like, nope, it's the World Championships. We're going to play Team Canada every game that Gordon Miller... And yes, it was the TV audio, but it was better than nothing. We went on a bike ride, a 16-mile bike ride, Saturday morning, because Canada and the U.S. for the 7 o'clock game, 
and we got out there nice and early. We both put ear, but we both put one earbud in of my uh, my wireless earbuds, and we rode the bikes. And the funny part was Kelly somehow fell behind far enough, but she had like the main one in, like your left one. That's like the the aim earbud, if you will. She could she went too far away, but it disconnected. But she could still hear it. I couldn't, so she was giving me the play by play because I couldn't. I didn't bring the charger with me, so I couldn't like recalibrate it. So the game's going on. Canada scored. U.S. made it close. It's 3-2. I'm like, oh, good Lord. They may actually come back. And Kelly's like, 20 seconds left. 10 seconds left. Canada's going to win. I'm like, oh, thank God. Okay. All right. Canada ends up pulling out the win. They beat the United States. They avenge the loss. They go to the gold medal game against Finland, a rematch of the last World Championship final in 2019. And you think to yourself, oh, boy, here we go again. Finns go up out in front. And then next thing you know, Canada's able to come back. And Andrew Mangiapane gets a big goal in that game. And, of course, the game winner out of – how about this? The the perfect storm, if you will, for Canada. The two players that play on the nation's, the team that plays at the nation's capital, Connor Brown to Nick Paul for the game-winner goal in overtime. The Ottawa Senator boys getting the win. Three-on-three overtime. I know people are like, oh, it should have been five-on-five. Listen, it's better than a shootout, okay? Glad the International High Hockey Federation changed that rule a while back. Canada gets the game-winning goal, the golden goal, to win for the 27th time. Finland picks up their ninth silver. They're now three and nine guys in gold medal games in their history. Now, now remember, world championships weren't always winner-take-all gold medal game. They did it similar to the Olympics. They do round-robin play, have a medal round, whoever has the best standings out of that. But still, uh, Finland, not the best. Canada, they have, uh, oh gosh, I forgot the record off the top of my head. It, they were, I think that's their 12th win, like 12 and six, I believe, in gold medal games. Pretty good. That's their 51st medal, total medal, by the way, for Team Canada. 15th total medal for Finland. U.S. wins the bronze medal, beating Germany. That would have been interesting to see Germany. Germany in the last couple tournaments, international tournaments, have done really well. Not as well in the World Juniors, but the World Championships and obviously the 2018 Olympics. They picked up the silver, losing to Russia in that gold medal final. Germany falling out. That's the ninth bronze for the Americans, 20th medal in total. It's actually their fourth in the last eight years that they've won a bronze medal. Other news coming out of Toronto. Not about the least. Don't worry. The Toronto Six. Sorry, there was something else that popped up in my Twitter feed. The Toronto Six have hired a new head coach. Digit Murphy, who we've had on the show in the past, who was never actually supposed to be the head coach in the first place, ended up taking the job because they couldn't find anyone else. She stays in her role as team president. They have hired Mark Joslin as the new bench boss for the Toronto Six. Mark Joslin, who has a lots of experience coaching. He has served as a coach for the Aurora Tigers and North York Rangers and the Toronto Patriots of the Ontario Junior Hockey League, Junior A level, one step below the OHL major junior in Canada. He's also been a scout for the Oshawa Generals and the Barry Colts. As coach in the GTHL in the past, he's excited, saying, quote, I just love where women's hockey is right now and is the direction it is going. And he said, it's been a dream of mine to always coach pro hockey, signing with the Toronto Six, talking to Digit, and getting this opportunity with only the, the being the only NWHL franchise in Canada is special. Now, granted, there has been discussion of a Montreal team, but that's to be remaining foreseen. So with that, pretty much all the news I have on us, has something broke here recently? Let's quickly refresh the page here. Um, 
Nope. There's a couple people saying what would happen if there's the Luke Fox mailbag saying, is there a way to win a Mitch Marner trade? Uh, I don't know if the answer is no. Right now, other teams in Canada are just trying to f- fill time before the upcoming offseason, even though it is their offseason. So with that, let's stay, let's stick in the north here. Let's excuse me. Let's get to the the North Division. Toronto out of it by way of Montreal. Montreal now, who has won six straight games, has a chance to pull off the upset. I mean, I guess it would be an upset because they are the fourth seed, but if you told me that Montreal would be up 3-0 on Winnipeg after Winnipeg swept the Edmonton Oilers, I would think you're out of your mind. However, here we are. They are honestly one win away from going to the semifinals for the first time since 2014. I, I was, I'm listening to TSN 690 last night. And I'm thinking to myself, this can't happen. This can't really be happening. Because I, I, I love the fact that of how good this Montreal team is, having seen it. But they're not actually going to win this game. I'm listening to the game while I'm golfing. Dan Robertson and Sergio Mameso on the call. Montreal, they and, I, and I'm listening, and it just sounds like you hear Winnipeg's name every so often, but it just sounded like Montreal just came at him so hard and so fast that you wondered, and I watched the highlights back, I watched the game back this morning, and Winnipeg just does not seem interested in this hockey game, in that hockey game last night. It's painful to watch how bad Winnipeg has been. Now, now yes, Montreal won game one, one nothing, or game two, one nothing. excuse me. Tyler Toffoli with his third goal of the playoffs, Carey Price, 30 saves. No big deal, 30 save shutout for Mr. Price. But they go back to Montreal, and it's 2-0, and yeah, maybe cause for concern, especially with Mark Scheifele still out of the lineup and, you know, going into the Bell Center, which is starting to seem like a home ice advantage for the hometown team, mainly because not many Winnipeg fans live in Quebec. Yet, for some reason, it just never seemed like Winnipeg wanted to be involved in the game last night. They got out played. They got out shot. They got out chance. Poor Connor Hellebuck was a sitting duck. I, I don't know how much you can look at that last night and say Connor Hellebuck could have played better. I How? What, what makes you think that, I mean, like, did they, did Winnipeg ever give themselves a chance? 5-1 ended up being the final score. Corey Perry got his third to start things off. Terry Lekkinen got his first. Yoel Armia with a pair of shorthanded goals in this game. And Nick Suzuki scoring his fourth with an assist from Cole Caulfield. Matthew Pertain to maybe Montreal doesn't have that kind of firepower, the finish at least. And, well, they have a youngster by the name of Mr. Cole Caulfield. Hobie Baker Award winner. Heard of him? Well, you're going to keep hearing about him. He picked up his third assist. He has been a breath of fresh air for this Montreal team since joining the club. The crazy stat, and Justin Bourne brought this up today in Hockey Central, that I just find just completely bonkers. Now, yes, the Toronto Maple Leafs power play, their struggles have been pretty much beaten into the ground. However, a team in the playoffs that is plus one when they are down a man is incredible. They've only given up, the Montreal Canadiens, I mean, have only given up three goals on the penalty kill. 
They have scored now four shorthanded goals this postseason. And y'all are Mia, by the way. The first one, nice little toe drag and a little, little snipe there on Connor Hellbuck. An absolutely pretty goal. The J shot, as my dad likes to call it. This team, I don't want to, I don't know if it, and the crazy part is they're up 3-0 and they're one win away from being one of the final four. They would be the first team, by the way, to be in the semifinal. I have to tell people that. Because remember, the reason why it's a back-to-back is because they thought the North Division wouldn't be able to catch up in time. Yet, here we are, children. I still don't know, though, if the Montreal Canadiens are that good. And you know, we talked about Matt Estevez. He kind of pertained to it a little to himself. Is it because the Winnipeg Jets are struggling without Mark Shifley? Offensively, yes. 100%. However, and, and people are looking at, is Connor Hellebuck playing that bad? No, he's not. It doesn't help when his team's getting outplayed poorly and he has to kind of try to figure everything out. And, oh, Nick Ritchie just elbowed Scott Mayfield upside his head. That's cute. And Mayfield, thankfully, is able to get up and tell the ref what he thinks. And, of course, Nick Ritchie gets one to uh, Remember, I got the sound off, so I don't know what's being said. Kyle Palmieri approaching Nick Ritchie. I'd love to know what happens with the Angel Department of Player Safety on that one. That's probably only maybe a few thousand dollars just because of the fact that Nick Ritchie was okay. So, sorry, back to the Canadians Jets here. Montreal has been playing well. Carey Price has been playing well. Ryan Suzuki, Ryan Suzuki, Nick Suzuki. Ryan's got to make it to the Angel eventually, guys, so I keep whenever I mess his name up, I can somehow segue it back to him. Nick Suzuki's been playing really well. Him and Cole Caulfield are just going to be so much fun in the future for Montreal if they keep getting the right pieces around him. Brandon Gallagher's playing tough hockey. Tyler Toffoli is coming on after being almost seemingly absent for that entire Toronto series. Scored the big goal, of course, in Game 6. Game 6, yep, scored a big goal in Game 6. At that point, made it 2-0 before Toronto came back and ended up losing in overtime. Regardless... The Canadians, you just wonder, I'm like, all right, is it Winnipeg playing bad or Montreal playing good? And this is why you need to have these semifinals so we can get to them and be like, all right, who is really the best division this year? Who really is the best team in the National Hockey League? Because we'll get to the team that was the best team at the end of the regular season and how they're not playing so well right now. That'll be in just a little bit here. I want to say the Canadians are for real. But were they for real in 2010? They should have been. They they lost to the seventh place team in Philadelphia in the conference final in 2010. Were they for real in 2014? I don't know. They beat a Tampa team that had Ben Bishop out of the lineup. Anders Lindback was their goaltender. They beat a Boston team that well, that was a very earned, honest earned honest earned win. That was the President's Trophy, Boston Bruins. And they only lost the New York Rangers because Chris Kreider can't skate. And he ran into Carey Price. So we don't know. Ooh, a big hip check thrown there. Is this another year? And of course, last year. Oh my gosh, they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins or Montreal. Okay, thankfully, at least they lost in the first round to Philadelphia last year. So that quickly negated any conversation if Montreal was a legitimate contender. Yet, however, this year's team just seems so much better and so much different than last year's team. Last year, it was just Carey Price stealing the show against Pittsburgh in the qualifying round. This year, there is offense. 
there's the goaltending, there's the toughness. Everything seems to be working for Montreal right now as I knock on this wooden table for their sake. Can they actually pull it off tonight? Because I'm not saying Winnipeg can come back from a 3-0 deficit, but you don't want to give any team any chance to have any inkling in their eye of coming back from this. However, when they meet either Montreal, or not Montreal, Colorado or Vegas, Colorado or Vegas, the two best teams in the National Hockey League in the regular season, can they compete with either one of those teams? I don't know. It's so hard to say this because they haven't played each other at all. But Montreal was one of the worst. They they have the worst record, the least amount of points among any team in the Stanley Cup playoffs heading in. Can they do it? I'd like to think so. This is a great Cinderella story. This is what you make movies about. But if they... If they somehow find a way to reel off, knock on wood, seven wins in a row, they're on a hot streak going into the semifinals, they meet the Avs or Vegas and get throttled. It's like taking a lamb to the slaughter. Yet, hockey's a weird game. If the Dallas Stars, who had no business even making it that far, can do it, then you know what? Maybe Montreal can turn some heads. They may not win the semifinal. They may not make it to the Stanley Cup final. Heck, they may not even win this series. There's a possibility. But if they do, if they make it a competitive series, it may be, you know what, a nice little, I know there's no such thing as brownie points or, or you know, moral victories in the postseason, but you know what? The way this season has gone for Montreal, the hot start that they had, the, the curse that Brian Mujic and I put on them by talking about how good they were, and then they fell back and dang near, they were almost missed the playoffs. Yet, here they are, one win away from the semifinals. Game five, four. Game four tonight, eight o'clock in Montreal, in front of 2,500 Lake Canadian fans. They could actually do it. It's, a, it's an incredible story. It's a great story. It may put a little bit of a mirage in the eyes of fans, but the fact that they may be putting themselves in a position to be one of the final four remaining in the National Hockey League Stanley Cup playoffs is, it's a great story, and I wish them none the best. I don't know if they'll be able to do it, though, and I don't know how they'll do how well they'll do. Like I said, 8 o'clock tonight, Winnipeg has one last chance, and if they play like they did last night, well, uh, it may not even be worth watching. Now, it may be worth watching. I mean, it could be a good game. Heck, the Edmonton-Winnipeg game, oh, Edmonton's out of it, ends up going three overtimes. So you know what? Maybe we'll have a little bit of that. Yet, I'm not going to make a pick on the game tonight, but Winnipeg, for the for their sake, let's, let's, look, let's look at the Winnipeg side of things here. We talked about how Montreal, it may be a mirage, maybe a little bit of smoke and mirrors, but Winnipeg is just seemingly, at least the way they played last night, there was just nothing. Yeah, the allow, there was a couple cross checks there late, and the guys were getting a little frisky, but there was nothing. There was no fight, it seemed like. There was no bite to their game. It just seems like, I'm not saying they didn't care. It just, they didn't seem ready for the game, and as soon as Montreal scored first, Corey Perry, his third of the postseason, 
Corey Perry, who was on the taxi squad to start this year. Corey Perry, who was put on waivers to get on the taxi squad, who could have been picked up by anybody after Montreal signed him to a minimum contract. Is a big player in the playoffs once again. Did the same thing for Dallas last year, doing it again now this year for the Habs. You gotta like the way the Canadians have played, but if you're Winnipeg, are you packing it in? Is that it? Is this how your season ends? You pull off arguably, yeah, I'm gonna say it, arguably the biggest upset this postseason so far. By the way, Islanders scoring the power play. Who scores? Matthew Barzell. The kid's hot. Third goal of the playoffs. Second as many games. He's on fire. He's on fire for you NBA Jam fans out there. But the Jets who beat the Oilers, the Jets that really limped into the postseason, they were barely healthy. They didn't have Connor Hellebuck, but they, they beat the high-powered Edmonton Oilers who have two players that almost had 200 points combined. They beat them. They sweep them. They got this, right? Get a nice long rest. They play Montreal. They got this in the back. Montreal wins game one. Okay, well, that can't be a... It's Okay. Might we lose Mark Scheifele four games? Well, we still got a couple. Of, uh, nope. And here comes uh, Montreal Canadiens dominating the series. It's so painful to watch good teams play poorly in the postseason. And like I said, Leafs fan here. It's wonderful. It's great. Only makes you drink a few more beers each and every night. So, you know, the questions are going to come up about this hockey club. Now, granted, yes, this is a much better team than they were last year heading into the bubble. In the qualifying round, they got beat by Calgary. But you can see where the flaws are in this series for the Winnipeg Jets. Kevin Dayoff will not be able to take a day off this year, this offseason, if the Jets want to be competitive because they're going to go back to the Central, which, as we saw, has a much better Chicago team. A much better Chicago team. The Red Wings are coming around. No, Red Wings are in the Atlantic. Sorry. I have to remember, Red Wings go back out east. Sorry, pardon me. Much better Chicago team. A Minnesota team that is probably two or three moves away from, you know, dare I say it, looking like a team that can take it. Dallas will bounce back. I don't, I mean, I don't know what their goaltending situation is going to be, but I think the couple of their key players are going to step up and play a little bit better next year. You're also going to have Arizona come into the fold. Arizona, who pretty much choked. Colorado's going to be back in the central. Oh my gosh. You know, you're going to have to find a way and. St. Louis, now St. Louis is a whole different scenario, but it's going to be a tight central division here in the next year or two. They're going to have to find a way to be better. Where they have fortunate circumstance that Calgary started to play like garbage down the stretch and Vancouver just couldn't do anything, it seemed like, after the COVID protocol. And that's nothing against Vancouver and their players. They just, they, they didn't have anything left in the tank. They tried. They darn diddly tried. But it was just too little too late at that point. And, of course, it helped that Ottawa had one of the worst first months of the history of their franchise. Because, like I mentioned, they may have, I don't know if, I think they would have been better than Montreal, but Ottawa had one of the four best records from February onwards in the North Division. They could have, they could have honestly been in the playoffs had the league started in February. Or at least they actually started counting games in February. So, well, end of the first period, by the way, between Boston and the Islanders. 1-1 the score. Shots 10-6 in favor of the Bruins. A big response there for, for the Islanders indeed. They needed that goal because the way Boston came out, 
boy, that could have been tough indeed. Let's take a quick break here, folks. When we come back, we'll talk about that West Division, what's going on out there. Vegas coming back strong series tied at two, heading back to Denver tomorrow night. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. What could go wrong for the Colorado Avalanche? Is it deja vu for the Avs and our good buddy good buddy Eric Pasolano's team? We'll just have to wait and see. But we'll talk about that series when we come back here on the Kuehl Show here on 12 on Sports. And welcome back to the Kuehl Show, everyone. Tyler Kuehl here, the insider of the insiders. End of 20 minutes of play. Isles and Bruins. Bruins coming out strong with a goal from David Pasternak. He's been playing pretty good. Sixth goal of the postseason for Pasta. For stupid Dunkin' Donuts favorite player. Sorry, kids. Uh, if Dunkin' Donuts actually made decent coffee or cool... Duncan cold brew, or how the heck he says it, whatever the crap it is. No, it'd be, it'd be Duncan cold brew. Eat some cold brew there, bud. I don't know how that, whatever they say it. Whatever how they say it in Boston, Duncan coffee, Duncan Donuts coffee sucks. I see the commercials all the time, and you cannot change my opinion on them. Timmy's all the way. However, Matthew Barzell picks up his third goal of the postseason. Power play goal, a snipe in his own right, a couple of berries, a couple of beautiful goals are the reason why this ser- this game is tied at one, the series tied at two. I love to know exactly what's going on between coach and mine. Barry Trotz is like, all right, guys, we're playing pretty well. Oh, excuse me. Mm. Yeah, Barry Trotz, I don't have any glasses, so I can't do it. Guys, we just need to play better and don't let Pasternak shoot the puck. Bruce Cassidy is probably just annoyed because the- they are mad about the slashing call to Sean Corrali and, you know, what have you, and I get it. It's a soft slashing call, but... You know what I call that, children? I call that a makeup call. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Game management. Here he comes. Game management coming back. Tim Peel. Oh, no. Oh, kick rocks, children, okay? Let's be honest here. The elbow that Nick Ritchie put to Scott Mayfield's head, it was missed. Okay. So what does the referee decide to do? For the obvious missed call to an elbow to the head of a hockey player, well, they give the next guy, the next close infraction, a penalty. It was a technically a slash. It was an infraction, and they called it. Now, let's be honest here, kids. That could have been an elbow to the head. That could have been a few more minutes than just a couple. So I'd be happy it was only a two-minute penalty for all you Boston fans out there because I've been looking on Twitter here, especially during the commercial break, and everyone's losing their mind over the penalty. It's a little over an hour left here in today's show. We'll see if we actually make it the full hour because I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of running out of stuff here. The series going on out west. Pretty fun-looking series out there out west. By that, I mean if you're a Vegas fan, because if you're in Colorado right now, you're probably having to change your britches. Game one, 7-1. to one. Colorado kicking them up and down the ice. They are throttling the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas had just played game seven less than 48 hours before that. But, and also I'm starting the backup goaltender. And I digress. Game two comes around Vegas. A little bit better of a fight. They're playing tougher. They're playing a little bit hard. They're talking to Paul Maurice on NBC right now. He looks as confident, as calm as he usually does. Then again, that's about how he always looks. He's laughing at something that's terrifying. If if Paul Maurice is laughing, it's not good. It's like Mike Babcock when he laughs. It's not pretty. But Vegas plays well in game two. Colorado has to play a little bit tougher. Philip Grubauer stands on his head. 
And like this mentioned, a weak call in overtime. Riley Smith getting the slashing call on Miko Rantanen's stick. And Miko Rantanen scores the game-winning goal. They go back to Vegas for game three. And once again, the Golden Knights come out flying. They come up playing well. And Avalanche don't have any answer for them. Philip Grubauer tries everything he can, even though he made what? Yeah, he made 40 saves in that game, but goals from Jordan Marchessault and Max Pacioretty in the third period give him the 3-2 win, first win of the series. They go to game four. After the loss, by the way, I forgot to mention this. You guys saw this too. Jared Bednar. Jared Bednar calling out his team, saying, we need to play better. Needs more effort. Because And people panicking, saying, why would you lose it? Your team is 6-1 and one in this postseason. What's the problem? The issue is that Bednar realized this too. After that first period of game two, how many periods could you say, goals or not, that Colorado actually dominated play? Exactly. Zero is the answer. Vegas handled Colorado in the late stages of game two. They should have won in overtime. What about game three? Same thing. They outshoot them 43 to, I think it was like 20 or 43 to 21, something really dumb. Then in game four, Vegas does it again. They outshoot them 35 to 18. I'm trying to think, guys, how many times has Colorado been held to less than 20 shots in a game this season? Obviously not in these playoffs because they had to play St. Louis in round one. It's looking a lot like deja vu for Colorado. By the way, Jordan March so picks up his first ever playoff hat trick, now has five goals this postseason. Max Pacioretty scoring back-to-back games. He has three now. Patrick Brown, how about that? Scoring his second goal. By the way, Max Pacioretty, just been an absolute game changer since coming into the lineup in game seven against Minnesota for Vegas. Absolutely. The spark that this team needed. And now they're feeling confident. They're playing well. Yikes. Watch out there, guys. So if you're Colorado right now, we'll get to the Vegas side of things here in just a little bit. If you are Colorado, what do you do? This has so much of the same feel as it was. Man, I'm spitting. Same feel as it was last year. What happened last year, kids? They got Arizona in round one. Wiped the floor with him. Darcy Kemper, just his confidence has not been the same since. By the way, Darcy Kemper was the goaltender that won the World Championship with Team Canada. A little sidetrack there. But they wiped the floor with him last year in the bubble. Throttled him. Not even a chance. Arizona won a single game out of pity. What happened in round two for Colorado? Nope, Grubauer got hurt. Francois got hurt. And then all of a sudden, they had to go with Michael Hutchinson. Daniel saved the day. They still lose to Dallas. Went up going on to the Stanley Cup final. Losing nonetheless. This year, they beat St. Louis and they gave them the blues, that's for sure. They made them black and blue at the end of that series, even though it was only four games. Handled them. They're looking good in game one. Seven to one win. Game two, all right, they're up 2 0. Perfect. And all of a sudden, we're back to square one with the Colorado Avalanche. Back to square one this year. It's the best of three now. Going back to Denver tomorrow, or tonight, excuse me, nine o'clock. No, it is tomorrow night. Good Lord. I'm getting my days mixed up. The 
Tampa getting the extra day off absolutely confused me. Tomorrow night, 9 o'clock, Vegas and Colorado. I don't know what the Avalanche need to do here. Everyone wrote that. I, I picked them this year to win the Cup. Obviously, it means I picked them to win this series, even though it's Vegas. My thing is, is that, is this team just capable of finding ways to get overconfident within itself? You can be as good as you want in the regular season. President's Trophy winners. Heck, remember 2014? Semyon Varlamov stealing the show. Nathan McKinnon, a rookie. Gabe Landeskog. This team was playing phenomenal, and they meet Minnesota in round one, and they lose. This team finds ways to blow it in the postseason. But Tyler, what about your Leafs? Listen, I know. I Yes, Colorado has at least one series, but... When they receive a pushback, they falter. They beat Calgary in five games in 2019. And yes, and yes, they had a chance against San Jose, and yes, they got screwed on on an offsides call. I get that. I understand that. Off a review of an offsides call, by the way. However... Now that this team has expectations, I look at this team now and just question marks arise everywhere. Is Nathan McKinnon able to pull it off by himself? Well, he's played well. Leads the the playoffs and goals with eight. But is he really that good? Is Is he good enough to carry his team when it's starting to falter? Yes, Philip Grubauer had a bad game, and yes, there was the first goal by Mark Jussot, the one that tied the game, because remember, Brandon Saad actually opened the scoring for Colorado, which was a real big deal, because I'm like, hey, they're starting off well. That was it, though. After that, it was all Vegas. I, they, they, they beat them handily. It just didn't seem like Colorado, after that goal by Brandon Saad, had a chance. And yes, people are saying, oh, what if that goal doesn't go in? What if something, what if somehow, some way, they end up you know, or if Philip Grubauer continues to play, or if that turnover doesn't happen, ifs and buts for candy nuts guys would all have a Merry Christmas, okay? So my point though is the Avalanche need to find a way to turn things around. Yes, going back to home ice at Ball Arena tomorrow, or t- yes, tomorrow night, that is important. But if they can't figure out their game, it does not matter. Because Vegas can go into Denver and win just fine. People are thinking, oh, what if the home what if the home team only wins this series? Well, then yes, that definitely favors the Colorado Avalanche going into game seven. Yet, all I can say is it's so hard to look at it and think if they don't, because I, this team is so good. They have the goaltender. The goaltender is a certified number one. He's a Vezda candidate. The offense is there, right? Well, <laughs> the Golden Knights have brutally outplayed the Colorado Avalanche. Now, let's give the credit where credit is due. The Golden Knights, their fast-paced, hard four-check, just absolutely tenacious attack style has worked for them. Gotten them plenty of chances, plenty of goals in the process, and they've come back from a 2-0 deficit to tie the series. What is going to happen now with the series going back to Denver? Can they ride this momentum? Jordan, Jonathan Marchessault. Holy moly. 
I said Jordan March so early, by the way. My bad. Jonathan March so has been. I know he wasn't the best in that first round against Minnesota, but he's looking a lot better. And sometimes all you need is one to really break open. Hence the hat trick last night. I don't know. Once this team gets going, can it be stopped? Because people say to themselves, oh, how does Vegas always finds a way to choke or whatever? I'm like, yes. They had a miraculous run in 2018 where they... I'm trying to figure, you look at that series and you wonder where the adversity ever laid. They swept LA that year in the first round. They, it was a physical series against San Jose, but they beat them. They lost game one and handily against Winnipeg, but then they just smoked them the rest of the way. And they ran into these, the inevitable final, you know, going to the ball of the Washington Capitals. What is this team going to do to continue this streak? Cause if Colorado is able to find their legs, you know, with, with tomorrow night, yeah, it's going to be a better game. But if you're Vegas, what do you change? You don't. Flurry, albeit not playing, not having to do as much as he had to do at some points in that first round against Minnesota. But if he can just, if he can make the saves like he has been lately, how do you not think Vegas is going to reel off four straight here? And Colorado has another collapse in the playoffs. You want this, I want this Colorado team to win because you think they're good enough. But at the same token, they're showing they're still showing the signs of fragility that it is with a younger and inexperienced hockey club. And I say younger, and I have to remind myself that Nathan McKinnon has been in the league now for seven years. Landis Gog even longer. Now, yes, if the series were to go to seven, that's when Nazem Kadri's suspension would be up. They haven't heard, haven't had word yet from the independent contractor, by the way. So the the limit or the repeal of the suspension has yet to be announced or decided. But it's so tough to win in these playoffs, as we have learned. But then again, anyone's ever watched the Stanley Cup playoffs knows that. I can go down the laundry list of teams that are dominant in the regular season, have all the tools to be the Stanley Cup champion and flame out in the playoffs, even before the finals. My goodness, the first couple that always come to my mind that is just hilarious, New Jersey in 98, losing to, wasn't it, was it Damian Rhodes or Ron Tugnut for the Ottawa Senators? Losing in 98 in the first round. Dougie Gilmore was on the Devils team at that time. 2001, there was Washington had that incredible team end up losing to Pittsburgh in the first round. Johan Hedberg stealing the show. Marilyn Lemieux saying, listen, guys, we may not be the best team here, but only the goalie can't be that good. Uh, You're right, he wasn't. <laughs> That's to my point with this hockey club, with this Colorado Avalanche team. Good teams lose in the playoffs. Great teams lose in the playoffs. The best team in the regular season loses in the playoffs. Doesn't happen that often, guys, that the Stanley, the President's Trophy winner wins the Stanley Cup. We went over this heading in. It's not often. By the way, second period just started between the Islanders and the Bruins. They showed a clip of Anders Lee skating today by himself. He was... Deemed out for the rest of the season with an ACL injury. Anders Lee comes back for the Islanders. 100% or not. That is a 
big bolt, big jolt for this hockey club. Back to Colorado Vegas here. It's hard to pick what's going to happen for the rest of the series. Because both teams are so talented, and this is why people looked at this series as the the A series, the series everyone wanted to watch because they are the two best teams in the National Hockey League in the regular season. They're both very talented. Both are differently skilled and you know stacked in their own way. Vegas has speed, 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 goaltender, speed, 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 speed. Colorado is offense, a little bit of defense, and now a number one goaltender. Two of the three Vesna candidates are playing in this series, guys. That's how good the two teams' respective goaltenders are. So I wonder what's got to give. What needs to happen for Colorado to turn things around? Jared Bednar calling out his team didn't do it because they didn't play much better after that. They almost got doubled up in shots. And it's hard to say. Is it Nathan McKinnon's fault? Sure, if you really if you want to point the finger, sure, point at the big start. That's an easy thing to do. But the defense needs to step up. You can't have guys like Patrick Nemeth just giving the puck up to guys like William Carlson in front of your own net. There needs to be more accountability on the back end. That's why it's tough. And, you know, for some teams, i.e. the Leafs, you can say the Stars didn't play well. You're right. How much, though, can Landeskog do or McKinnon do before you realize that, listen, there needs to be some more work on the defensive end if this team wants to be good for a long time. You can outscore teams early in these playoff series, but if you want to be of the Final Four or in the Stanley Cup Final, you need to have a team that can bunker down and win a 2-1 or a 1-0 hockey game. I don't think Colorado can do that. Vegas seems like they can. Whether it be because of the vet, veteran experience they have, whether because of their style of play, their goaltending, I don't know, but they seem more ready to win a cup than the Colorado Avalanche. Even though I and pretty much most of the hockey experts out there said Colorado is going to be the team this year. Boy, I mean, next year I'm just going to pick the worst team. Next year I'm going to pick whoever finishes with the worst record going into the postseason. I'm going to pick the second wildcard team from the East or the West and just go with that because, listen, if you're wrong, well, you know what? That's easy. It's it's easier to be wrong on the team that's least likely to win the Cup than to be wrong with the team that was the most likely to win the Stanley Cup, the heaviest favorite going in, the best Vegas odds. Even though if anyone knows how to bet on Vegas, you bet on the lowest or the 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 team or the player with the least probability to win. That's why if I ever bet on the Belmont Stakes or a horse race, you bet on that, hey, that horse has got 51 odds. You're darn right I'm picking him. Who knows if all the other horses break a leg when they're running down the front stretch. I'm going to go with a horse that you know may give me the most amount of money if I win. Bet 10 bucks on a horse that's 51 odds. I'll take that 500 grand and go home. Or 500, I don't know how the heck it would be, but it'd be a lot. A lot more than it would be if I bet on the favorite. So just a couple minutes into the second period, Islanders and Boston tied at one still. Shots 13-7 to seven in favor of the Bruins. I, I still, this Colorado team is just so, it's, in a, it's so nuts. It's, it's confusing because they're doing it again. They look really good in the regular season. Division champs. President's trophies. They got it, right? I, I don't know. I don't think so. 
Do I want them to be better? Absolutely. Then again, do I want a million dollars? Absolutely. But some things just aren't going to happen today. That said, it seems like the series could easily go seven games. On the same token, it just may not. Easily couldn't be. And Islanders back on the power play. Bruce Cassidy yelling at something on the ref. Yada, 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 saying he doesn't like the call. Typical stuff you'd ever hear from a coach, you know. The, the little things, right? Because you'll never hear a coach say, you know what, sir, that was the right call. No, I, I've never never heard that before. If I underscore on this power play, though, I'm pretty sure Boston's going to have a... They're going to have another tea party. I don't know what they would throw the refs. They'd throw their whistles away, I guess. They'd find them and throw them into the Boston Harbor. <sighs> but yes. I kind of just taking a pause here to kind of figure things out because I'm right now wondering how much longer I want to go on the show tonight because <laughs> I don't, don't have much more to really discuss than... Oh, Tyler, you're unprepared. Well, what you know, what have you. Why do I think it's so easy to do a Thursday show and it's only an hour long? Oh, boy, look out. Shorthanded breakaway, possibly. Charlie Coyle. Oh, I couldn't get a nice play made. Is that Ryan Pulak? Ryan Pulak, a guy that really I didn't know much about heading into the playoffs last year, has really turned my eye towards him as a top four defender in the National Hockey League. Guy that can play tough defensively, but a very key offensive weapon for this Islanders power play. Like I like watching him play. So we'll see how this game plays out. I think ever since that goal by the Bruins, Islanders have played a lot better. Watching Pulak on the power play. Bill and Dipsy do. Sean Corrales playing the point. Who do they got? Who do they got out there? They got. Okay, they're just kind of flipped them around a little bit. And they have Corrale playing up top. And it's not a rarity. Oh, they score on the power play. There it is. Who is that? Is that Palmieri? Kyle Palmieri! Palmieri, the palm tree, is hotter than snot. Make it six there for the old fart. It's 2-1 Islanders. Well, so much for Boston winning this game. I'm kidding. It's, still, it's not over yet. What I'm saying is like how the fact that who would have thought that the Islanders would come back from a 1-0 deficit? Two goals on the power play now. I think, two, was it two for three now for this team? Oh, what an awful. Off Connor Clifton. Off of Rask's pad. Off of Clifton. No, it went off of Clifton. Both of Clifton's skates and over to Palmieri just sat there back door. What a bounce. What a fortunate bounce that was. Islanders now in control. Just less than five minutes into the second period. So a quick rundown here. May as well before we wrap things up. Because, like I said, guys, I really don't have much more to go on on today's show. I should have had another guest on. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I don't even know how I... How did I fill two and a half hours last week? So crazy I was able to pull that off. But, so right now this series, 2-1 lead for the Islanders. The series tied at two, game six. Let me quick pull up the old calendar here. Game six will be played on Wednesday. That'll be a 7.30 start. Game seven, if necessary, Friday night in Boston. The other series going on tonight, game four, Boston. 
Winnipeg and Montreal. Montreal up 3-0. They can do it tonight. If they don't, they will play game five in Winnipeg on Wednesday. Tomorrow night, Lightning and Canes, Series 3-1. Tampa can close it out tomorrow night if the Canes can't come back. But if they win one more, they will play Thursday night in Tampa in Game 6. Colorado and Vegas, big pivotal Game 5 tomorrow night in Ball Arena in Denver. Game 6 will be on Thursday, 9 o'clock start for that one. And if possible, Game 7 on Saturday, which would also be the Tampa and Carolina game seven, if necessary. So a lot to look forward to. The semifinal should be starting here in just a little over a week. Remember, folks, the second show this week will not be on Thursday. It'll be on Friday. We may have a guest for that one, guest host for that one. Can't say anything yet because I haven't asked him, <laughs> but he's going to be in town. So I may have to twist his arm a little bit to make it happen, but we'll have to wait and see. Follow us at The Kula Show, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you want the lowdown on it. The Monday show next week will not be on Monday. By the way, Friday, keep also keep tabs. We're not sure if it's going to be on 12-Ounce Sports yet. We have to check the schedule. If not, it'll be on the Kill Show family of networks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. No, t- Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, not Instagram. Maybe we could do Instagram Live. I'm not quite sure if we'll do that. We did it once on this show before. It was kind of fun. But that'll be on Friday, like I said, 6 to 7 o'clock, same time frame, unless something changes. We'll have to wait and see. But 6 o'clock next Tuesday, that would be the 15th, because Monday, Sunday and Monday, I'm going to be at Cedar Point in Ohio. Wife's never been there before, going with a couple of our friends. It'll be fun, maybe. Maybe it'll be fun. I don't know how bad the lines are going to be. Nice save by Tuka Rask there, stopping Palmieri from getting a second of the game. Seventh of the playoffs, my goodness. The New Jersey Devils slash Anaheim Duck legend, Kyle Palmieri. Gosh. It's so funny because the Ducks and the Devils, whenever you see a team that plays each other in the Stanley Cup Finals, they're always intertwined forever. So whenever you see a guy playing for the other team, it's it's odd. Hence why Tory Crew going to St. Louis was interesting, to say the least. It'll always be funny. It's always interesting to see whenever a team does that. So Paul Mary obviously playing for both teams was like, really? Ducks and the Devils getting the same player? Oh, it's kind of a little strange. However, just just quite interesting that way. But anyways, back to the thing. So next Tuesday will be the show, 6 o'clock, 6 to 8.30. We'll try to get a couple more guests on for that one so we don't have to bow out early. I just I could talk, guys, but it's just I, I got nothing else to talk about that that's relevant. How about that, eh? I could easily go on for hours on end, but... You guys don't want to hear that. At least not at least not by myself, right? So with that, that is it for this week's episode of the Kula Show. Almost pulled it two hours. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. I know you're all disappointed in me. It's okay. Get in line. Disappointment line for Tyler Kula is a very long one with a lot of people, both relevant and not relevant. At least not relevant in my eyes, I guess. But that is it, folks. Thank you very much for watching this episode of The Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports, whether you're watching on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Zingo TV. Thank you very much, as always. You guys are awesome for tuning in. Use the hashtag TKS to talk about today's show at The Kula Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Follow us on there as well for all your updates and when we're going to do the show next. Like I said, Friday for sure. Don't know where. Tuesday for sure. Don't know where either. But we'll let you all know on there as well. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time on The Kula Show. Goodbye.